I'm going to try to connect all of this together. It's very important. I hope it will flow into your center and be useful for you. Definition of conceptualize to form a concept. To conceptualize is to form a concept. And what is a concept? An idea or thought. It's also a generalized idea of a thing or a class of things. Now, this is very closely connected with the word perceive, take hold of, comprehend, and qualify. The other term I'd like to introduce is contact, touching the object with consciousness, aware that an object is present. In other words, cognition. Got it? Conceptualization and perceiving have in common. Does anyone know? They both depend on memory to function because they're both about defining or qualifying an object. But their base, their direction is governed by the memory contained in the individual that's using the procedure. Do you understand? At Savadi, the Buddha told the disciples, I will teach you the origin and passing away of the world. Listen to that and attend closely. I will speak. And what is the origin of the world? In dependence on the I and forms, I consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact or cognition, awareness that an object is present. With contact as condition, feeling comes to be. With feeling as condition, craving. With craving as condition, clinging. With clinging as condition, existence. With existence as condition, birth. With birth as condition, aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, displeasure, and despair come to be. This is the origin of the world. So, and the same thing applies to all of the other sense gates. Right? The same procedure applies to all of the other sense gates. Now, let's take something out of a Zen teaching. Ordinary people all indulge in conceptual thought based on environmental phenomena. Hence, they feel desire and hatred. Now, what are they talking about? Let's go back and talk, let's go back and tie this together. We all know that a quality or factor of mindfulness is present moment awareness. So it, that is one of the qualities that allows us to position mindfulness in a space of utilization. So I have to be in the present moment, or the present moment is where everything exists 
and originates from. So if I'm mindful, I'm in the present moment. But there's another quality or factor of mindfulness, which also has to do with location or position. I'm going to try to connect this, so try to follow me. If, you, if, you, if, if I confuse you, raise your hand, and I'll try to express it a different way. So we go back to the origination of the world. And with I and forms, in other words, the I base or the internal base and forms, external, I consciousness arises. And with the three of those, contact comes to be, or cognition, awareness that an object is present. And with contact, this condition, feeling comes to be. Now, what happens in that space between cognition and feeling is conceptual thought. Okay? That is the qualifying or identifying or having an idea about what it is that is seen or heard or tasted or felt or touched. You with me? Okay. The practice of mindfulness requires that we position ourselves between cognition and conceptual thought. Do you see that space? So it means then that in my being, in my awareness, in my presence, in my observance, I must keep myself positive right after cognition and before conceptual thought, before defining the images, before qualifying the images. And when I do that, I am removed from the conceiving or the creation of reality, which means I am not a part of expressing or creating duality. Because my memory has two, two categories or two repositories. Memory is either good memory or not good memory. Those are the only two vials that I have to work with. And when my qualification or my identification or my idea of what is present, it's either going to be good or it's going to be bad. So I'm already creating a duality. And we see the confusion that that brings into our experience. Because first of all, we are confused as to why you can't see it the same way I do. So that leads to a belief in polarization, a divisiveness. Well, you see it this way, I see it this way. We have Republicans and Democrats. We have conservatives and liberals. We have black and white. We have policemen and others. We have, you know, we have all of these 
groupings that appear to be divided, but they're divided because that's the way we see reality. That why is it that some people can parade and salute war and some people have an abhorrence to war and, and destruction? Some people celebrate it. Who's wrong and who's right? See, when, when I begin to identify according to good and, wrong, good and bad or right and wrong, I create the divide myself. Because if I establish one thing, a this, a that always goes with it. If I bring in a good, it's always got to be a not good. You see what I mean? Does anyone not see what I mean? Okay. So the skill and the ability then to reside in, to position ourselves in that space of awareness there is something there, there is everything there, but in that space also of um, resisting the temptation to call it something. In other words I hear a sound but I leave it right there. I don't say it's a dog, a bird, or whatever that chirping thing is out there. I, I withhold my inclination, my habitual tendency to define it because I know from my experience and my re- observation of experiences that someone else is defining it a different way. And that duality causes division and confusion. So I can either be a part of it, a part of that conceiving, a part of that establishment, or I can be mindful that that only produces error and not participate in it. So this is what some schools and traditions call sudden enlightenment. Where you don't have to do anything because you don't have to undo anything. Because you see that you create the mess that you find yourself in. We talked about that this morning. The mess around you is the mess that you create. Because what's happening is not a mess. It just is what's happening. And if we can just leave it right there, we can resist the temptation, the tendency to go call it this or that or the other thing. But just leave it right there. Then there is no mess. There's just, what's, what's, what is it to do next? What is the next moment? How can I 
relate to and be in harmony with the next moment. But I can't do that by having preferences because when I have preferences, I also have things I don't like. That's my creation. That's not the reality. That's my creation of the reality. That's my interpretation. So another example I can offer is that reality is like a new coloring book. But the tree isn't green and brown or the sky isn't blue or gray until I make it that way. But if I can just leave it like it is, without me determining that it's this or that, then there will become no this or that for me. There will be no this or that. There will be no good or bad or beautiful and ugly. There will just be. But do you see where you have to be in order for, the, in order for that to happen, for, for that to be achieved? You've got to be in that space where there, before conceptual thought, before conceptualization, you have to stay there. Because as soon as you make it something, then there's loss and gain, good and bad, Do you understand? Is there anyone who doesn't understand? Yes, Tom. Uh, my question is the, what you're calling that space of uh, uh, just that position. Position in the moment. Position. Posi that position. Yeah. Would that be the same as just in that space where I would choose or we would choose uh, perception? No. It's before that. It's, it's after cognition and before perception. It's before defining the object as anything at all. I understand what you're saying, mm -hmm. and I would like to relate to that. But on Sunday, I was reading in the New York Times, and there was an article about, I think it was the New York Times, and it was about somebody in, I want to say, um, Afghanistan and it was a girl and she was like 12 years old and there was a rule there that when if her husband she was let's say 12 and when her husband died she had to get married at 12 or 7 or whatever it was when her husband died then the next person in the family like the next brother would take over and then marry this woman this child, mm -hmm. and then it, and it would happen again. So in other words, she would get married, probably get raped, have a kid, and then do it again and again. So I'm relating to the kid that's like seven years old. She, I don't know how she could just think that this is okay, or I don't know how you deal with it. It's easy to... That just, you know, it's just like really hard for me to think about that and just say, 
this is the reality of right now. Yes, this is the reality of right now, but I don't know how that cannot stick to you and make some sort of decision with that. And that's not a far reach because there's so many children that are in that situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Being where you are in the moment, you do what you can do. That's what's expected of you. It doesn't mean that because you position yourself at this point in the continuum of events that everything will be good. It just means that everything will be. And if there is something that you can do wholesomely in that moment, in that position, you do it. So if you were in a situation where, as you expressed, there was a little girl who was being abused, you would make the appropriate phone calls or do what you could do to express love and kindness and compassion for the people that you find in that situation. Whether it's a little girl being raped or a homeless person wanting something to eat or someone needing an umbrella because it's raining. If you have one, you give it to them. If you don't have one, you don't. But you are able to effectively steer the event toward harmlessness and that's all we can do as bodhisattvas so you don't ignore it unless there's nothing you can do so in other words if you're driving down the highway and you see an accident there's a person lying out on the street with stuff coming out of their head but you're not a medical person. You don't have any knowledge of first aid. Then you could do more harm than good. So you don't stop. You might call. You might do something. You might call the the, the responders. But you don't move the person that's on the ground. You don't extricate them from the accident because you don't know whether you'll do more harm by moving them because you don't know. So you do what you can, and that's all you can do. But the point is that the event or the experience is what the event or the experience is, without you making it something, without you taking your crayon out your box and making it blacker than it really is. It just is. Whether you like it or not, there are going to be children who starve to death. Do you feed them? There are children who are going to be abused because there are going to be people who are abusers. If you can stop it, you do. If you can't, does that answer your question? 
Hmm? Yes, it does, but I'm still thinking about that child who's six years old who has not cho choice but to just be, be obedient because what else can she do? So she can't well, just... That, that, she can't that just is a part of that's, that, that is a part of the reality of life. Those things are just there to see what you're going to do about them. So what are you going to do? Is there anything you can do? Um, help in any way I can, you know, join an organization or just do something. Send a donation. So instead of just like sitting there and not doing anything, try and do right. something. Send a donation, join an organization, intercede the way you can with compassion and love. Speak out for women, you know, whatever. Yeah. But you... I mean, you so just it's can't not, sit there and not, not do anything. It's not ignoring a situation. It's being present with the situation. But, but we don't make it good or bad. We just see what it is and do what we can. Yes. Okay. There are... I think the, U, the UNICEF organization has a commercial art that says there are the equivalent of six jumbo jets full of children who die every day of starvation. That's a fact. So, what are you going to do about it? You know, that is just one form of suffering. Are there children starving? Yes. Are there adults starving? Yes. Are there people dying of all ages from starvation or lack? Yes. What can we do? You do what you can do. You donate. You join groups. You work in soup kitchens. You do what you can do. So it's not about ignoring. It's about understanding the nature of reality, that the starving child, the abused child, the starving adult, the abused adult, is just a, a thread of the reality that we're in. And there, there's all types of speculative thought about why that is so. You know, was it their karma? Was it something they did in a past life that caused them to have this experience in this life? I don't know. But to say, I'm not going to help you because it's your karma, you know, that's incorrect. For those of us who are awakened to a certain degree, we realize that there's that a situation should not be ignored and we do the best we can. 
We do what we know how to do. We resist the tendency to involve our things, to involve ourselves in things we don't understand. Because we find that when we do that, we might bring more harm than we do good. So that we have to bring wisdom with us. We have to bring compassion and wisdom with us before we do it. We have to make sure we have that with us before we stick our hands in to the situation. Because our intention is to bring some resolution that is better to the situation. But if we don't know what we're doing, we'll just muddy the waters. We'll just cause more problems than there already is. So there's a lot of preparation that we have to do as individuals to ourselves in order to to accomplish the highest good in every relationship that we have with every person and everything on the planet or in, in the cosmos or in reality. So it then helps us position ourselves. It helps us set priorities for ourselves. It helps us to, to ask first not what we can do, but what I can do when there's an opportunity to do it. What am I qualified to do? How can I help? What is my gift? So I have to find out what that is first before I get all involved in the, in the stuff. What is, that, what is it that I can bring that will benefit those who are in suffering? And if I ask myself that question and the answer is you, you don't have anything to give. And the first thing I have to do is develop something to bring some proficiency to my own behavior, to my own intention, so that it will do some good for whoever I touch. So I can look out at the world and see all of the inconsistencies or things I'd love to change or like to make different. First of all, I've got to understand what side of the divide I'm on. You know? Where's my head and where's my consciousness and where's my heart? Why do I see it this way instead of that way? Is my seeing it this way the right way to see it? Is my understanding balanced? Is my approach adequate. So we start with our own development, our own cultivation, making ourselves the perfect vehicle to benefit those we say that need benefit. Have you done that? Then once that's done, then we find a vehicle to ride in, to to fuel 
with our intention so that we can be of the greatest benefit to the situation. But not to worry about it, just do what you can do. Okay? I feel like the confusion, but maybe I'm misunderstanding, but the confusion is if we're not conceptualizing, then, you know, then how are we making those decisions and seeing it that way? So maybe, is that what kind of what you meant? Like, if we're not, not, we're seeing something happen, but trying not to really conceptualize it so that we're seeing it as good or bad, but then how do you take action? In the you, way that you're you, you let you let the reality tell you what to do. If I define it, then I'm I'm imposing my own I'm imposing my own understanding on the event. I'm saying this is the way it is and this is what I'll do. But if I stand there and not define it myself but allow it to define itself to me. Let it inform me, you see. Then I have a better understanding of what it is that I'm required to offer. Because it's not from what I think, but it's from the wisdom of coming from the reality, the truth of the moment. See the difference? Okay. Yes, John. My confusion or, or splitting comes from people, again, I'm externalizing, who are particularly good at manipulating physical reality. Um, are having the appearance of acting and doing all these um, activities. Um, and I, but the reality for me is I really don't know what is going on with that person and trying to keep guarding my own sense gates as well as getting a, a deeper sense of what is really going on on the different layers when there are obviously physical realities that are coming in as well as not getting too shut down or resistant or basically I get it was the other day I was in contact with those two the example of Starbucks was being bothered when other people bother each other um, and it changed depending on where I put my focus on in the scene as well as getting better at choosing not to be bothered so my so I'm, I'm I guess I'm struggling with being bothered as well as choosing not to feel like I'm spiritual bypassing by just closing my eyes and saying these things um, aren't happening. So I'm feeling protective 
overly protective. Approach each moment with wisdom, and you'll know what to do. The wisdom, as you as you expressed, the wisdom helps us understand that there is more to the situation than meets the eye in the moment. There's a, a depth and breadth to each moment that takes observation. We just can't jump into something assuming that it's this way or that way. We have to understand what's going on. There are many reasons why a person might be choking. But we've got to understand why they're choking before we help them clear their airway or get air. And, that, and that's where the wisdom comes in. We've got to understand what's happening before we do something about what's happening. We don't just, the solution is always not just to build a wall. So, let's, uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. So I was just thinking about memory and how it's playing into this as well, because mm -hmm. I'm, coming from, I'm looking at a, some reality. And then up, and I'm positioning myself to look at that as in a neutral way. And niggling up and behind me in my thought process is this memory. That says it's that. Right. Okay. So then, what would I, would I, be paying attention to that little sniddling thing back there? Or should it be, again, one of those, um, a new moment, so it just goes away? That's my question. The idea is to realize what you're being informed by. Am I being informed by the moment, or am or I being informed by the past? The past is insufficient because, first of all, whatever is happening in the moment is not the same thing that happened yesterday. No matter how similar it might be, it can't be the same thing because that happened yesterday. So I am not the same thing that I was yesterday. So I have to be fresh in this moment with what is happening right now and not depend on what happened yesterday to inform me of what's going on right now because right now is what's informing me of what's going on right now. I can't listen to the past and the present. So I'm making a choice not to listen to the past. I'm not ignoring the present. I'm not denying the present. I'm just being informed by the present as opposed to being informed by the past. Do you understand? Thank you. Okay. All right. So let's go inside and be there. Do you know where you want to be? Do you understand where you want to be? Mm 
Does anyone not understand where they want to be? Okay. Being right here, right now, without an agenda. The agenda is based on what happened yesterday. There's a plan. Well, I'm going to do this the next time this happens. But this can't happen the next time. This can only happen this time. And this time cannot be like the last time. Do you? <laughs> you get it? <laughs> we got it. Okay. Your wisdom comes from remembering what happened in the past. No, your wisdom doesn't come from what happens in the past. Your memory comes from what happens in the past. Were you, were you wiser then than you are now? I guess I mean like learning from your mistakes. What do you think? Were we wiser yesterday than we are today? Do, is, do we think we know everything we know that there is to know today? No. So this is why we should develop the patience to allow the day to tell us what to do. How can we prepare how can we plan for something that we don't even know about? We don't know about the next moment. We don't know about tomorrow. It might seem similar to what happened yesterday, but it's never the same. And we don't know what we need to do until we get there, you see? Until we get there. Okay. So it's, it's that realization that it's pointless to plan for something when we don't know what that something's going to be. It's to have the patience to wait to see what it is so that we can act more appropriately. Now we benefit from experiences when we know, well, I shouldn't do that because I did that and, you know, it went up in flames. But we can't assume that it's going to happen the same way. We've got to wait for it to inform us of how it is so that we can act appropriately where we don't have a fixed plan, we don't have an agenda as to how we're going to operate. Yeah? So that's... That's a subtle difference. Yes, Bobby? If every day on the way to school this kid comes out and grabs my lunchbox, I learn from that experience. I say that I have to go down the street every day and think, maybe today he won't grab the lunchbox. <laughs> I take a new street. I'd learn from my experience. Yeah. But you're, you're saying that you don't do that. No. Or at least that's what it sounds like to me. No. I'm saying that I'm not going to assume that the child is going to come out and take my lunchbox every day. Well, if you don't assume that, then you just keep walking down there every day and 
He'd take it every day. Perhaps. So you're not ever preparing. You never learn from experience enough to prepare and protect yourself? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just, what I am saying is that we don't know what today is going, what this moment, what the next moment is going to bring, what the future is going to bring. We don't know. Not with 100% certainty, but we certainly have some odds after a period of time. Well, we know if we catch the bus going west when we want to go east, we're not going to get there. Mm -hmm. We know that. So there are certain givens in that respect. That's let me, let me, let me, let me, let me Let me express it a different way. I, I know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. How many times have we thought it was going to be a certain way? And when we got up to the moment, it really wasn't. So we worried or we angst or we planned or we prepared. And it just didn't happen. And it was all for nothing, yeah. Okay. So that, that's part of what we're avoiding, that, that suffering that goes on. Mm -hmm. Because we really don't know. Until and we I agree with that. Them. I'm just saying there's a very fine yeah. line of how you make that decision. When yeah, you, true. When, when you perceive the future or estimate it or go by the odds, and when you don't, when you try to be more open um, the, the case that uh, the little girl who was forced into an early marriage and subsequent marriages thereafter. We are assuming that she would feel like we would feel, but if that's how it happens in her culture, and this happens to every child in her culture, she's grown used to expecting this, and she may not react as negatively as we might perceive it to be. So I see that where you could, you know, stand back and try to be objective and observe and understand and wait for better understanding before you would try to insert yourself and make a change. Her, I'm just saying it's really tricky what you're saying it, we it, should it really do. Is. I find it very difficult because there's a line where it's a very uh, movable feast. I, I'm never sure where that line is. Well, the line, as long as I put a line there, it's there based on what works and what doesn't work for me. So I, I tend to employ what seems to work as opposed to what doesn't. That's what I'm doing too, but I'm just saying it's you got to keep working it all the time. <laughs> because it changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Using everything that we've talked about, playing the odds, saying that I can live anally and try to plan for every contingency 
And when I get to the moment, it's entirely different than I thought it was going to be. And all of that planning and all of that structure was for naught. All of that worry was for naught. Because that happens more often than nailing it, I stopped trying to nail it. That even when I come up to the moment thinking I'm unprepared, what happens next happens more about from the, from the point of view of what I think about it than what really is. You know, if I think I'm going to fail, then I'll fail. If I step up to the unknown moment and have a belief that I will be okay in this moment, even though I don't know anything about it, even though it's a brand new moment, a fresh moment, I haven't planned for it, I haven't strategized for it, but I'll, I feel confident that I'll do all right in this moment, in this newness. Then I'll do all right. I'll, I won't be destroyed in the moment. And that takes faith to do that. If you feel that you can't let go and that you, you know, it's, it's about control, right? It's about feeling the necessity to control the outcome of something that I don't even understand because it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't presented itself to me yet. How can I control it when I don't even know what's going on? But we try. And we suffer. And it's not about whether we try or don't try. It's about whether we suffer or don't suffer. So if preparing doesn't cause you suffering, and not preparing does, then prepare. All right? All right. Let's go inside for a few minutes and see if we can put ourselves in that position, posit ourselves between cognition and perception or conceptualization.
The problem is that we think that when we stop thinking, that'll be the end of wisdom. But that's the beginning of wisdom. When we stop using our little mind to solve problems, we access the bigger mind, the higher mind, the purer mind, and we access intuition. So it's not that we're standing, we're at the doorway of something and we're we're like a dullard. We're just getting ourselves out the way with all of the stuff, the baggage that we bring with ourself. We're saying, okay, we're going to put you aside. And we're going to let something higher, wiser stand in for you. But you've got to get out the way to allow that to present itself. It's always there. The higher consciousness is always there. The Buddha nature is always there. The Christ consciousness is always there. But we're standing in front of it. We're blocking the sun. And we're afraid to let go. Because we don't believe that we're really who we really are. We think that we have to be this little self. We have to depend on this little self that it will protect us, and it will make everything good in the world. Well, has that happened? No. Do I think that everybody's going to receive and accept and believe what I say? No. But I keep saying it anyway. (laughs) So. It's our thinking that creates our suffering. creates the world that we think is imperfect. It's our imperfect thinking that creates an imperfect world. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so very much for everything that you do and for your support. And uh, smile at a stranger. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.